Welcome to Outdoors. I'm Brian, sitting down here in the Law and Justice Center with Scott Secor, the SAR commander of the Gallatin County Sheriff's Search and Rescue. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. We are uh, stoked to be here, and, and uh, thanks for having us. In September of 2020, I was promoted to the rank of captain within the Sheriff's Office. I'm a, a deputy within the Gallatin County Sheriff's Office. I got promoted from sergeant to captain in uh, September 2020, and at that time I was assigned to the search and rescue division by, at the time, Sheriff Brian Gookin. I uh, transitioned from patrol work to search and rescue work and uh, have been there for the last two years. Can you tell us a little bit about how the organization is structured? So it starts at the top with the sheriff. The sheriff is responsible for overall command control and uh, organizational responsibility for search and rescue per Montana state law. So he is the end of the chain of command, if you will. Under him would be the under sheriff, and then myself, captain of the search and rescue division. The training coordinator, uh, which is Jason Ravisky in this case, another paid employee. There's only three paid employees, myself, Jason Ravisky, and Aaron Metzger. And then under us, it's all volunteers. So we have managers of three different sections, Valley section, Big Sky section, West Yellowstone section, and then we have team managers too, which is the dog drones, comms, heli, and dive team. And then we have endorsement managers within the Valley section, because the Valley section is big and diverse. So we have people that do more than just hike up a trail to find the, the missing kid or the person who broke their ankle while hiking them, etc. People in the valley section branch off into different specific skill sets such as alpine, swift water, ski avi, boats, off-highway vehicles, and snowmobiles. So we have a chain of command for managers and underneath managers we have operators or technicians in our world and then underneath technicians we have apprentices. So that's kind of the chain of command from top to bottom. But right now we have 153 volunteers and we have three paid staff. To be very clear, the volunteers is the backbone of this operation and, and they do the heavy lifting. We just point them in the right direction and give them the tools, the training, and the, the money to accomplish their job safely in the most efficient manner that they can do it. But they do all the heavy lifting. We're just here to support them. How does the training process work? You, you mentioned there's several different disciplines. As a new member comes on, we start with a SAR Academy and that's a a three to four day depending on the curriculum but usually it's a three-day process where they come in for three Saturdays in a row and go through an academy you know a 10-hour day of SAR training basics everything from how to operate the radio how to talk on the radio how to load a trailer on a truck how to back up the truck how to use hand signals how to use five-part radio communication how to use your mapping some of the lingo that we use uh, here's what each team does here's the organizational structure you're like a police academy or a fire academy it's no different so we start them off with that and then from there they go and do on-the-job training we're on calls they're going to be intentionally teamed up with someone who's more experienced and also we have monthly training. So that monthly training for like say the valley section could be patient packaging one month, first aid the next month. This month we did avalanche awareness. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on the month. And then if they have an interest in doing one of those endorsements I talked about, they'll go to a snowmobile training or a OHV training or a boat training, swift water, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So those are in addition too, but we do have minimums that people have to meet. We require our members to go to 20% of the missions 
and to attend 50% of the monthly Valley training. And if they're on an endorsement, most endorsements require 50% attendance on that as well. Mm. Our volunteers are doing a ton of training. It's more professional than it is recreational, for sure. So when a call comes in, a 911 call from someone on the M, for example, and they say, I've broken my ankle, I'm halfway up the M, etc. I need help. So they'll call 911. 911 will generate a call for service that says backcountry rescue. One of our command, SAR command is what they're called. They're volunteers who have specialty training. There's 10 of them that are trained to organize, run, deploy, and control operationally a mission. So they get paged. They then talk to a deputy because the deputy is assigned to every call too. And there's SAR deputies. There's 16 SAR deputies who are trained specifically to help and operate and support a search and rescue event. So they work together and decide what resources are needed. So in that case, they're going to say, okay, we just need the valley section and comms because comms acts as our dispatch. So the comms team will be paged and then the valley section will be paged. And so it sends out an automatic alert through uh, their cell phones. We used to use the old school, you know, drug dealer pagers. Mm. We don't use those anymore. We use the, uh, everyone's got a cell phone, so that's what we use. We page out through cell phones. They receive an alert on their cell phone. They mark whether they're responding or not available. And then they are directed from there through SAR command where they need them to go and what resources are needed. Hey, mm. I need you to go get the truck. I need you to get the, the four-wheelers. I need you to go here or there or whatever. And then they respond to the trail. So... That's the long version. The short version is you call 911 and then we show up. <laughs> so depending on the situation, it'd be whoever is needed is deployed from a few people to many, many people, I assume. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so let's talk about some things people can do to prepare themselves for being in the backcountry. Because, you know, the access here in Bozeman is pretty incredible, and, but you can find yourself in some pretty remote places pretty quick. So what are some things that people should do to prepare themselves for emergencies? Several items that we could address. Number one is not going anywhere alone. I would say some of our most difficult rescues are people that have gone solo somewhere. When people bring another person, they have someone who can call for help if they're not getting cell phone service there or provide extra clothing or help them get shelter if it's terrible weather or build a fire or give them food or water or um, help stabilize the injury until we get there. Having another person is crucial. If I could make people do one thing, if I could force them to do one thing, I would force them to take someone with them because that would, that would cut down 50% of the, our calls mm -hmm. as far as the solo calls that we go to. It, people are still going to get hurt, but with another person, usually they self-rescue. The other thing is taking a communication device, whether it's a, a cell phone that we say take charged, you know, leave it in, in airplane mode until you, until you need it, mm -hmm. and then it's, that way it stays charged and keeps the battery, or having a, a GPS communication device such as an inReach. Mm -hmm. Those things are huge. It's hard to put a number on how many lives that we've saved because of inReach and, and communication devices. We would have lost so many more people without those communication mm -hmm. devices, for sure. And then the, the basic things like take enough food and water and clothing. The, the clothing thing is huge. You know, living in Montana, the, the temperature changes and fluctuation from, from sun up to sundown is crazy sometimes. You know, 20, 30 degrees temperature change. People go out for a hike, 
you know, at 10 in the morning and think, well, I'll be back by noon. Mm-hmm. And then it's now 4.30 and the sun's going down. And they're like, shoot, I'm still two miles away from the trailhead and I hadn't planned for this. Now they're freezing to death. Mm-hmm. Those are the big things. Of course, we could go on and on and on. You know, take a take a flashlight, take a, something that you can start a fire with, take, a, you know, a whistle or something to signal with. The communication device, going with a partner, and then dressing for the conditions, I'd say, were the big three. Mm-hmm. You can pack the 10 essentials in your kit. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. With the in-reach, in how does that work uh, when that dials up to connect to you guys? What is the What are the steps that happen when the, that's activated? The signal kind of bounces around, if you will, or the message, the, at, the request for help goes to the, the main Garmin or mm-hmm. whatever your device is, center relays to our center, our center relays to us. Mm-hmm. And then we can cut out the middleman and then communicate directly at that point. Mm-hmm. And who pays for all of this? I know it, if you, depending on what's involved, you know, it can be very expensive. Where, where does the budget come for a rescue? Gallatin County Sheriff Search and Rescue is funded exclusively through a mill levy. And the first mill levy that we got was in 1986. It was for one mill. And that, that doesn't mean $1 million. That means it's a value of, uh, a percentage of the value of the median home so back in '86, it was like one mill was like forty to sixty thousand dollars. Now one mill is four hundred ish thousand dollars. July of 2020, the voters approved two additional mills be added to that. So now we have a budget of over one million dollars a year. So that's who pays for it. Tax-paying citizens of Gallatin County is who funds search and rescue. So we are exclusively funded by tax-paying dollars. If someone gets rescued in Gallatin County, are they on the hook for any of the rescue costs? Not from us. So if we use uh, air ambulance like Life Flight, Med Flight, Air Idaho, we don't contract with those. That's just like if we call an ambulance and AMR shows up, mm-hmm. we don't have a contract or anything with them. That's that's separate. But if any SAR resources that are used on an event, we do not charge for. Mm, okay. We absolutely do not charge for it because there's been studies done on this in the United States throughout all the different SAR organizations. And what happens is people don't call for help because they don't want to be charged. Mm -hmm. And then finally, when it is a dire life or death emergency, they call for help, and by then it's sometimes too late. Mm -hmm. So what we don't want people to do is not call because there's a cost involved. Mm -hmm. You know, any taxpaying citizen in Gallatin County is paying for it. We're just splitting the cost. So you're not afraid to call for help when the time comes Mm -hmm. where it's actually an emergency. Mm -hmm. So we will never charge. We will never charge for our services. Since you've been involved, what are some of the most surprising things that you've encountered? I think that the most surprising thing is when we see people that need to be rescued that have made no preparation for the conditions at all. That still surprises me, I think, living in Montana and in Gallatin County. That lack of planning, I guess, or awareness that the, the conditions can change so radically. For example, one of the rescues we did not too long ago was during hunting season and folks were dressed for a nice fall day. Well, it turned into an overnight excursion and a 12 inches of snow that followed and, and they were grossly underprepared for the next day. And they knew it and, and called for help and we went and gave them assistance and got them out and it was no big deal. But just the you know, not looking at the forecast or, and even if they had, and it was a surprise, you know, squall that came in, those things happen. I get it. But 
it's just not knowing that that's possible in Montana. You know, everyone always laughs and jokes, ha, 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 wait five minutes and the weather will change. But, man, that's true. <laughs> you know, like we see it so often. You know, you could you could say, have you seen gnarly rescue? Sure. There's been death that has been terrible and heartbreaking and tragic and gruesome. And there's been um, lost kids that it's heartbreaking and you don't like seeing the parents suffer, you know, the, the emotional suffering that they go through and all that stuff is bad. But I think none of that is surprising. <laughs> it's the lack of preparation that's most surprising, mm-hmm. honestly. P- people have less experience in general than they wouldn't necessarily be, be able to anticipate those things as much. For sure. And so Aaron is our um, uh, electronics technology, social media guru. And what are your thoughts on why people are underprepared and go into the woods and what it has to do with the accessibility due to electronics these days? I think people are overconfident because of electronics these days. I mean, iPhone just came out with the new SOS thing that you can do without a Garmin in reach. And, and I think that people just underestimate what that means exactly and how long it could take for rescue to get to them. Just because you went out for an afternoon hike and you're expected to be back by 4 p.m., if you get injured, in order to activate volunteers to get them off of work, to get them to the building, to get the supplies, to get them to the trailhead, and then now they have to hike the four hours you've hiked. It's a long time and now it's midnight and you're freezing because you're unprepared for weather. Just overconfidence, I think, with technology in general yeah maybe packing the the bare minimum on mm-hmm. each trip i mean there there definitely is a, a line between how much you bring and the more experienced you are you generally can weed out some of those things yeah but at least in, in my experience i found that even if i'm going on a you know a longer hike for the day um, but i'm trying to go pretty fast i can still pack in an insulation layer and i can still pack in they've got these little owl bags which is like an emergency blanket, but it's all sealed yep. around. So rather than having the wind blow it away, <laughs> you can get in it like a burrito, you know, and it weighs ounces. Yep. So that's, rather than packing an entire shelter, you know, doing something like that can give you a little bit. So if you're injured, you're not able to move, you can at least maintain some warmth that way if you have to wait for several hours. Going back to the surprising thing for me is I think people underestimate local easy hikes if you're not from here it's not easy i mean we've had literally had someone lost on the m before mm. and if you tell someone that it it blows their mind they don't know how that is possible and they were lost i mean mm. it took us i think gone for four hours probably mm. from last point of last contact to when we found them the back country is crazy it'll eat you up and spit you out <laughs> scott what are you most excited about moving forward with the search and rescue So in the last year, we've really reorganized search and rescue from an old system of being a bunch of 501c3s who kind of operated independently with no really oversight and operational control by the sheriff's office. The next year in 2021, we established that new organizational structure that I described earlier, you know, from the sheriff down to the apprentice. Getting that in place was a major reorganization and that took some time. And so now we're two years into it. Looking to the future, the most exciting thing is is the SAR Academy that we just started this year and integrating those new members into the team, having those skills right out of the gate before that those skills took years to learn because there was really no system back then it was kind of just people who was really good at climbing or really good at kayaking or really good at skiing or whatever and and they just kind of all jumped in and helped but there's really no formal system the most exciting thing is is getting 
new folks injected into that system, being able to operate right off the bat, and seeing how our existing team has accepted them like they're five-year people already. Mm -hmm. And so we've actually created this system now where people are have enough skills out of the chute to go operate effectively in the backcountry. And what's exciting for the future is expanding that academy and, and maybe offering it to more people, not just internally, but maybe externally to other people in the state that need that training. We're looking at 2023 as a very exciting season, the summer season, when we get the most calls mm -hmm. to see how all of that finally takes shape and and see if it is a smooth running machine or if we have to go back and make some tweaks or changes. So. What uh, sort of people are you looking for for volunteers and how would people uh, learn more and, and get involved? Yeah, we're just looking for people that love the backcountry, want to be part of a team, have discretionary time. And where can people go online to learn more? So if they go to GallatinCountySheriff'sOffice.com, there's a link to search and rescue there. And they can find um, out a lot of information about the team there. And if they need to know more, contact me. All that stuff's in there. Any other last thoughts or things you want to add? You know, just if you ever see a, a search and rescue volunteer out on the trail on a mission or if they're training or something, give them a high five. Man, Aaron and I and Jason and the sheriff and undersheriff we can't thank our volunteers enough. It means even more coming from a citizen when they get a high five or something on the trail. It just means a lot to them. We're just so happy to be able to work with such an amazing group of volunteers. We feel like we have the best volunteers on earth. That's not just a you know blowing smoke or, or trying to pump them up. They, they really are. They are incredible. And the amount of missions they go on, the amount of training. They're going to volunteer to save somebody who's fallen off a mountain and could possibly be deceased. And that's a, that's a hard job, and they're not getting paid for it. Sure, they get really cool equipment, and we make really fun videos, and um, they get to see beautiful views and all that stuff, but they get to see some pretty terrible things, too. And like Scott said, we can't possibly thank them enough for that. They're doing all that stuff I talked about, dropping the, the fork at the dinner table on the kid's birthday and their friend's wedding or whatever to, to go on a mission. and. It's for somebody that could be grossly underprepared or made a huge mistake or done something completely foolish to get themselves into that situation. And the paid staff nor any of the volunteers who donated all this time will ever say a bad word about that person. They treat people like they're part of your family, the victims, because people all make mistakes, people have bad days. For them to drop everything to go do this, keep a smile on their face, help someone they've never met before that they'll never see again with zero thanks, you know, because they may not, the victim might be unconscious or whatever, and, and they just go back to their dinner like nothing ever happened. It's just, it's incredible, it just blows my mind. It makes us so proud. Thanks so much for taking the time to fill us in on Search and Rescue. Make sure to visit the website. You can also, take, you do take funding and donations for from folks. Yeah, so on that link, Friends of Gallatin County Sheriff Search and Rescue, and you can donate to that. And what that does is that funds the stuff that we can't pay for, like the individual pieces of equipment that are personally owned. Friends is able to reimburse them, like if they buy a bunch of gear or whatever that's used for search and rescue, we can reimburse them. So we can help take some of that sting financially out for all the good work that they're doing for us. So. Well, thanks again. Yeah, thank for you. For all you do. And uh, until next time, happy trails.